and we are recording another edition of Zoomtown. I am your host, Travis Mateer, and with me, Tim Adams. Good morning. Oh, you got to get more energy going than that. We have no, a, I don't. <laughs> we have so many things to discuss. I guess I, I will try and, and infect you with my energy levels, which are caffeinated um, and, you know, geared, I think, uh, to, to the outrages that are just normal in this new normal that we experience on a daily basis, um, where once upon a time, friends turn into not so much friends and once upon a time, you know, political allies turn into someone that can't answer a question, a simple question. Do I have the right to say no? Candidate Hunt, uh, for ward one in Missoula, uh, which is zoomed down, uh, cannot answer that question or does not want to, I guess, answer that question with a, a one word answer, which is what I was hoping like a yes or a no. But um, he does he does continue commenting on on posts that I'm writing at Reptile Dysfunction, and they're very long posts, lots of citations with court cases and stuff. Um, partly because one of the the stories that I'll mention at the top of this before we get into some of the local local things, there is a woman who was in a custody hearing in Chicago, and the judge, for no reason other than I guess his own curiosity, decided to inquire on her vaccination status. Hers was, uh, I'm not taking it. I've had past bad experiences. Me and my doctor discussed this. Um, and the judge decided to require her to get a vaccine lest she wants to not see her 11-year-old child. So um, that was insane. I called it a trial balloon. Um, was pretty horrified. Most people I talk to when I tell them this example, they're like, holy shit, that's crazy. How can, they, how can a judge do that? And I'm like, Psh. You know, you tell me in this new normal if a judge can come in and tell a woman who has 50-50 custody with her husband that she can't see her 11-year-old child because she's not vaccinated. So that brings a new urgency to the direct question to Mr. Hunt about whether or not he thinks I should have the right to say no. So, so women can say no if they don't want to be penetrated by a cock, right? So like a penis, a male appendage, right? They, they get to say no if they don't want that dick. To, to penetrate them. Um, needles, though, and the penetration of skin seems to be this new area where where bodily autonomy no longer exists. Like, pin me down and fucking poke me, right? Is that where, is that where we're at now? <sighs> Have I had too much caffeine, possibly, Tim? Uh, you know, I'm just getting so tired of it. and Maybe that's the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah a, a war of attrition to slowly wear you down. I mean, what... Can I just bring this back? I think, you know, I'm, I'm a person who's tried to explore different things and be open-minded and be like, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, my political philosophy doesn't track a straight line from when I was 18 years old to right now. Uh, or, nor, nor does it, like, um, happily find a home in one label or the other, as I think most people um, in their complicated views actually you know, exist in reality. Well, and, and it really comes down to the question, and I think this is where we've sort of lost as conservatives because we've basically ceded the entire education and credentialing system of every major industry that we need to operate in the country to left-wing ideology. So, you know, when you go through and you need, let's just say you want to be a businessman or you want to be a comms person, wherever you have to go, if you have to go through a college campus to have your career track go to that, then you have to be 100% with this ideology. And 
now that we're conflating ideology with science, which are completely different things, <laughs> right, now that right, we right. are conflating ideology with like government operation, uh, you know, it puts conservatives in this very difficult place of every argument where we have to justify not just what we're arguing, but that we're even qualified to take on government, even qualified to talk, take on experts, you know. How can we ever have an opinion on science or medicine if we don't have degrees in science and medicine? Well, so to emphasize that point, um, what I wrote about today, um, today being August 31st, so the last day of August 2021, the title of my post is Alberton School Board Member Amy Lohman Isn't Losing Any Sleep Over Taking Choice from Parents for Health Decisions. So this screenshot was sent to me um, via direct message a couple days ago, and um, it immediately triggered a bit of anger from me. Um, when I read this comment, I think you might suspect why I'm a little upset, but Amy Lohman, um, this is her comment. As a school board member, many parents were asking for the choice to make health decisions for their kids. Wait, 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 wait. Many people were asking as if that right is not given already. Okay, go ahead. Wow, good point, good point. Many um, people were asking can I spank my child if they do a bad? Many people were asking, should I feed them if they're, you're the parent. Yes. Okay. Well, well, Amy, Amy's going to respond to you, Tim. And, and to let you know that unfortunately, okay, Amy, these parents, that's the white, that, that's like, it goes Karen and then Amy, I think. They are led in referring to the parents. They are led by misinformation and can't make the best decisions. And so this is, let me, let me just start again. I want, I, I want Amy Loman's full comments to be really, um, heard and internalized by anyone listening. As a school board member, many parents were asking for the choice to make health decisions for their kids. Unfortunately, they're led by misinformation and can't make the best decisions. We chose to mandate masks at our school four to one, and I didn't lose a minute of sleep over it. What a self-important cunt. What a coos. <laughs> I don't even know what else to say because do you, do, we've gone... In fact, I don't even think it even occurs to anymore that maybe we should be putting stuff out there for everyone that we might be. Right. I mean, these are the people who will jump down your throat and, and ruin your entire life if you even incidentally cause a offense to another person. But the, the smugness with which these people operate about their complete self-righteousness, their complete confidence in their own. It's a hermetically, it's, it's, a, it's a hermetically sealed container that, that nothing can penetrate. And so, that, so what is the point of a parent then? Are, are, are you supposed to hand them to the government and let them do whatever they want? And then you're supposed to like put them in a cage overnight and give them a bowl of water and food yeah, and, and bring and, them and, back to the school? Like what, what's the relationship here between parents and children? Because it seems very obvious. This woman seems to believe you are, misinformed i am no longer interested in even trying to define what of what my parental role with my own children should be with a person like this i'm more interested in the legal process and so the whole point of the post today and um the point of someone like brian festa who was recently interviewed by the propaganda report he's a connecticut lawyer who has an, a national organization raising money uh to fight for religious exemptions um against the poke um what is what what it's clear that we need to do to protect rights is to use the legal processes which re require money and so for brian festa i'm going to be donating on like that ten dollar ongoing donation so monthly ten dollars allows a, a more regular income stream to come in so that they can fight the fight 
uh, for religious exemptions. I donated already today $250 um, to the to the local effort to fight the mask mandate for the, the local school system. So um, that effort is at $11,400. So they're trying to raise $30,000 um, with my little push. That's now up to $11,400 raised. And so money going towards legal fights is a good strategy at this point because the it's not even arrogance. It's not even arrogance. It, I mean... <laughs> This comment is just, it's so disgusting to me. Um, I, I don't even know where to start. Um, I know where I don't want to put energy, and that's trying to have an argument, a rational argument with, with someone like this. And this kind of um, correlates to what I've been trying to put up with with um, candidate uh, J. Kevin Hunt at Ward 1. Um, now we're at, at this point, unfortunately, in this, in this public interaction. You know, I've had uh, direct messages to him requesting a phone conversation that he's ignored. So I, I would have preferred to have some of this conversation in, in direct phone conversations. You ban him off your blog from commenting. No, then. no, not? I'm not going to ban him. That's Why? that's no, but um, but Why? Be, it seems like a perfectly reasonable adult thing to do. He wants to control the relationship by only allowing himself to say things to you, but you won't take the same back well, to yourself. No, 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 no. I um, in 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 the in the comment or in the question that now is is a, a part of a, a recent post um the question is very simple and direct do i have the right to say no which took me back to that you know you know awesome convert where we started out real strong there tim actually i'm using the c word for my appendage you dropped the c word for the the female term that we have free speech you know and we should use it um my wife uses that no, c word every once see, in a while for, okay, for special this people this is one thing we need to get past okay what's that it's past time to be nice. You can be assertive, you can be clear, you can be direct, you can be non-offensive, you can be non-insulting. I chose to be insulting because what she says is insulting to me. I, I think parents should have the right in all situations to choose what medical medical care is best for their child unless they're actually right. like a crazy person. Uh, but she is a school this is a this is a class of people. If you go back to like revolutionary france this would be like the second estate these would be the clergy these would be the bureaucrats they're the people who paid very well to sit in positions right, of right. power mm -hmm. and and enforce the ideology of the ruling class okay that's what this woman in albertson is and i know in her mind and i know in all the circles in which she collects information all her facebook friends all her facebook groups it's just reinforced showing this it's the, it, well, so so, it, but it, it's it's Sorry. even it, it's even worse than that because Amy Lohman is not just a school board member. Um, the the link at the at the blog post goes to the zero to five program. So the zero to five program is a, um, it's housed in Missoula, anyways, in the United Way of Missoula County. Um, I believe Amy Lohman um, is the zero to five coordinator for Mineral County. Um, so the zero to five has some statewide, I guess, uh, money funding. And so both Grace Decker and Amy Lohman are, are mixing their, their school board member position with their paid, paid work um, in the zero to five program, which, you know, pre-K was, again, one of the prime uh, uh, um, for, for governor. how Ingen's going to solve homelessness. So now well, when he gets reelected, I expect that to go through and governor all the homeless Bullock, will just go away. Right. Governor Bullock in his, <clears throat> in his um, obviously failed bid to, to be president, his presidential campaign had pre-K as one of the the prime issues that he ran on and and in some of the biden federal infrastructure stuff we're going we're going to have the money seeping in um and right now the amount of control being exerted over over 
my my ability to choose for for the health interventions that I find appropriate for my children based on the risk you know that I'm that I'm familiar with in this new world where we're all trying to understand these new things that are apparently requiring um, interventions that have never been tried out before two weeks to flatten the curve remember that one that was fun I, I just don't even understand at this point because any reasonable person I, I feel like the places I'm getting information from first of all I look at Twitter uh, and and you know I look at a lot of right-wing places but they're still citing studies about the effectiveness of whether the masks are effective the effectiveness on whether it's better to get the vaccine than to have natural immunity whether people who've gotten covid really even need to get the vaccine at all natural it's, immunity right yeah and, and how so when i know that there is valid information out there that's just as like peer-reviewed and sound as the stuff they're advocating for how does someone go out and say oh it's misinformation it's like no they're First of all, science is a competition of ideas. That's the whole reason we founded our country on free speech, because we wanted, no matter how messy or gross a speech you got to, we, we assumed that the consequences of having controlled speech was much worse. The th same thing with science. I mean, this is it's so strange to me that there's this class of people who just believe that they're really open-minded, critical thinkers, and yet all they do in reality is just close down discussion well, no, and enforce their own world. And what they are doing in reality, the way they, they close down the discussion one way um, before they had the the fun of like deplatforming people and and creating sort of like online vigilantes um, they they just use public private partnerships to to bounce around what they can and can't say and one great example you know trying to find out what happened to Sean Stevenson at St Pat's Hospital in Missoula Montana Sean who was um, assaulted at the Pavarilla Center January third twenty twenty two days later. Uh, after being taken to the hospital, removed from life support without his family being notified. Um, when I contact, um, you know, county communication coordinator professionals, um, they, they say, well, we can't say anything. That's the hospital policy. So I contact the Providence Health System that oversees St. Pat's. We can't say anything because our policy is to not say anything standard. You know, you have to have a lawyer, pay money, subpoena. Um, and so, you know, you bounce around and you can't know even the policy information about how someone is removed from life support. And so all of these people now that virtue signal and go from J school to comms pros to, you know, democratic, you know, mouthpiece. Like, I mean, this 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 narrative control uh, carousel of bullshit, you can't pierce it. Um, and and the, the new shielding of, of righteousness that, that, that comes along with this cultist a aspect of it is so maddening and kind of frightening for, for someone that just wants to like, like fall back to some basic rights, some basic bodily autonomy, uh, informed consent, the ability to choose for yourself the health decisions. Well, it, that, it, let's go back to the, the case about the vaccination because that judge really legitimately 100% has to believe in their not even just their own personal man, but in the context of the law and the context of individual rights, that this kid is not going to be safe staying with a parent who's choosing not to get the vaccine, okay? Yeah. When we look at this woman saying, I, I know I'm the one who is not on misinformation. I have the good information. Guys, I get paid very generously to know the good information, and I pass along with the yeah, strength yeah. of will. And we haven't even got into the Ace Hardware thing. 
No, but but this is this is why you know some of the topics that we have been discussing week after week. You know, my concern that some of these younger people use ends justify the means uh, rationale to really mix boundaries. A good example is Maggie Bornstein. All right, she is someone that used a internship from the Montana Human Rights Network. The information she gleaned from that internship, and this is based on a direct conversation I had with her. Right, um, she used that information to then go after publicly uh, mayoral candidate Jacob Elder in a letter to the editor. Um, and so the ends justify the means for true believers. They can use anything in order to try and get the outcomes they're going for. And and if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to compromise certain um, maybe uh, ethics that, that, that would put you at a disadvantage, um, you know, this is the whole sort of like Cold War mentality where you have to always like equal up with the great adversary. You have to have the same weapons and, you know, but where does that leave us? Where does that end us? You know, I'm not as surprised by that. I mean, left-wing people are going to gravitate towards left-wing stuff. This is the stuff she's probably interested in. I don't know how you like compartmentalize. I learned this in my internship. Therefore, I can only talk about it in that internship. Eh. <laughs> I, I disagree with you on that one, but it's, it's just this class of people. I mean, this is, I had the same thing with another Twitter interaction with a reporter. Uh, because they basically wrote this entire hit piece about Gianforte and how Gianforte is straddling the fence and his fence straddling is against public health. And he very extensively quoted who I would consider at this point the most public like left-wing official. I think her name is Lauren Wilson. The reason I know about her is because she was out front and center during the legislature going against Republicans uh, over this trans kid stuff. Right. Saying, you know, we need to have medical inter interventions for trans kids. I'm a pediatrician and this has to happen. If I don't, you know, get them on hormones and breast binders, they're going to commit suicide. And so I criticized. I said, you know, this this woman has been out on the forefront medically as a very prominent Democrat. OK, so if you're going to now cite her exclusively as your number one public health official, you're going to innately taint that source because she's only been a source up to that point for Democrats to attack Republicans. He's like, she's a perfectly reasonable person. I was like, okay, dude, if you don't think that everyone out here sees the ecosystem of Democrats and news just swirling around together, like circle jerking each other, and, and you're going to come out and be like, I'm a good journalist because I put I, I well, cherry picked hit pieces about COVID. And, I, well, and this lady said it's bad. So. Well, exactly. And I, I think um, your criticism of, of sort of the reporting and, and, and the taint factor and, and the sources that are used sometimes is similar to my concern with a, a, a nonprofit organization like the Montana Human Rights Network. Maybe an internship, you, um, the information gleaned from an internship by itself oh. is not problematic. But when you combine that with my efforts to get this organization to care about a black man, in Missoula and they don't because that might impact their don their donation base their donors you know really I mean it does come down to money at the end of the day in so many of these these ways in which you're able to protect yourself you know if you can hire a lawyer um, if you can if you can subpoena information if you can do all these things you know I have a level of protection when I use my megaphone recently right did some free speech use my megaphone my free speech maker um, and that made some people feel unsafe um, so the people that don't think I should choose for my, my kids um, didn't feel safe with free speech being used in proximity to their place of business. And um, it's it's just very interesting how um, how these these dynamics play play. And I'm not sure where I was going with that. Um, I think we're both in a ranty mode now. I know we kind of are. <laughs> we, we kind of are. It's, um, it, you know, I, I feel this existential angst about I I. I I've been trying to keep away from the Afghanistan stuff so much. And I dealt, you know, I put my toe in when these 13 Marines got killed 
because one of them was from Wyoming, and so it was yeah, I saw that. in the local news. And I saw the pictures, of, and I, I say kids, you know, my aunt is 60-something years old. She still calls me kid because I'm the same age as her son, and she got, saw me grow up. But these were kids. These are kids. That, they didn't look that far out of high school. And then... They weren't, they weren't born when that war started. No. How the fuck are adults going up fighting wars that started before they were fucking born? What is completely wrong with the leaders of this country? Like, we, we have such a broken system that it's like, is our only recourse of this whole thing just sitting back and watching it so burn. so so like, tim so tim let's let's take this this um failed afghanistan war okay which i remember when it started because i was 22 when when 9 11 happened and that, that terrorist attack in the safe haven in afghanistan and you know yada 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 right um and so i just i mean part of me wishes people were more educated about geopolitics but a lot of americans aren't that's part of um, I think the privilege of being inside the empire that goes and just wages all these insane wars. But now that we have a failed war and a new opportunity locally to signal virtue, we have the International Refugee Resettlement Program is gearing up for Afghan families. Okay, And when I criticize these efforts, I don't do it from some hateful xenophobic place. Right. Um, I once upon a time identified as a progressive. I worked at the homeless shelter for seven years, something I say almost every freaking episode. But that's because I try to um, sort of uh, pre protect myself from those attacks, because five years ago when they reopened the office five or six years ago, now it's been I was critical because we had a five percent vacancy rate in our rental market back then. So back then I was worried about the local housing dynamics now. How can you say we need to be bringing families into Missoula when our vacancy rate is like 0.3%? How can you say that and deny the fact that you are picking winners and losers? Yeah. Okay. I, I, um, yesterday, I went out to the Reserve Street homeless camps. I have not been out there um, and, and really walked around broadly for, for probably a couple of years, actually, just because I haven't known some people. I haven't been, been doing the work to build relationships, but I know someone now that um, basically took me on a tour and introduced me, and I, I walked all over the place. Um, I was looking into reports that the sheriff department was displacing people, and that doesn't seem to be accurate, um, so I should say that. I'll be writing about that at some point, but um, there's still a whole bunch of people out there. Um, there are, when you drive on West Broadway, and you see all the tents that are, that are um, around the Pavarello Center, um, you know, it, it continues to be a situation that's not unique to Missoula, but it is a absolute issue and problem for people that are living here that are trying to get into housing. And so when you are selecting another um, group of people and you're bringing them into this environment, and I won't even say what I, what I well, I will, um, not that it's controversial, but Montana does not have mental health services for all of the people that have mental health needs. We have about a million people in this giant state. We do not have a robust Medicaid system for people that can't pay um, private sector costs for mental health services. We don't have good services. Even Missoula, this liberal place with all these nonprofits, we do not have, I, I worked at also Missoula Aging Services for three years, and that's an area agency on aging. So I'm very familiar with Medicaid and Medicare programs. Um, I, I used to talk to people that were relocating from, I, 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 the way I framed it, magical places called Oregon and Washington State, you know, and they would come to Montana and be like, where is that place where we just go and get our disability going in the state and all of the places that we need to go are in one, one, one stop shop, you know, everything just goes. And I, I would be on the phone with these people and be like, oh yeah, that sounds nice. I wish we had that. We don't. Welcome to Montana. 
Um, and so, so my, 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 my criticism of the fact that Missoula will be welcoming Afghan families, you know, like I, I like to let these fa- families know some of the places in Missoula, maybe not to go where they might get um, attacked by um, people that are, you know, not stable. Um, I don't know if you heard, but um, out in my neck of the woods where I live, uh, someone was wielding a machete, apparently, and was shot and killed by sheriff deputies on Sunday. Another police shooting, that's like two in two weeks, right? Well, the, the, the shooting of the young man, the young Native American man, um, it, it, it appeared uh, after a high-speed chase, uh, that young man did, uh, there was a self-inflicted gunshot wound. He shot himself, and the police officer fired off around after hearing the gun discharge. In that particular situation, which is tragic, and the family is wanting more transparency, and that um, there's been a couple protests from the family um, and people bringing awareness to that situation. Um but this just happened on Sunday, um, out out by sort of the, the, the deep creek. They I call it the it. South Side South Side Road area. I wasn't even sure that's the the term for that road, but it it, it goes along the Clark Fork. Um, when you go uh, big flat road, kind of turns into deep creek and turns into gravel. I actually go out in that area to take my dog out to the river, and there's way out there. There is a spot where there's been some broken down campers and people living out there. So I wonder if that's a situation in which someone living marginally in one of these rural rural parts of the county um, had a bad day, went off on the wrong person, and ended up getting shot by law enforcement and dying. So that happened on Sunday. Um, But, you know... I, I, we don't have a hot war going here Isn't in America to bring to bring refugees into, right? Doesn't it's not a class like war going on at all in this country, right? If you were a trained policeman, you would have some way to disarm a person with a knife or an axe without killing them. Allegedly, based on the reports, uh, non-lethal interventions were deployed and were not successful. If you're out there, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get, I, I want to see exactly where this happened. I haven't uh, gone, gone and done too much exploring and to see... But if you're out there, you would think that you have um, the ability to fall back if someone just has a knife and you have yeah. guns Can to I, fall back on. But you, you know, had to catch Bill Maher on Friday, did you? No, but I heard he's been making uh, the the science scientism cultists feel a bit uncomfortable. Can I play something for you? Oh Let yeah, me, we we have the ability to do that. So let's give this a try. Yeah, let's let's do that. Blind hatred of America is just as blinkered as blind love. And we, and we Americans should really get some perspective about where we live. Watching the shit go down in Afghanistan, I was reminded lately of every conversation I've ever had with an immigrant, almost all of which, if we got to really talking, included the notion, oh, you people have no idea. All you do is bitch about and badmouth your own country, but if you knew about the country I came from, you'd stop shitting on your own. <laughs> Now, right? I'll just say this struck me very poignantly because I just feel very exasperated with what's going on. Right. I mean, and we all knew this was going to end. It's 20 years coming, but have you um, heard about the documentary bitter Lake by Adam Curtis? No. So when you, when you start thinking about um, the, the Sorry, lo- there's like seven more minutes to this. I do you want to listen to all of it? Yeah. Can we? I, sure. I, it may start slow, but I, I promise it has some real well, meaning. Because I, 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 I definitely want to hear more substance because I'm already getting my, my mind going. But pl- play it all. I'll keep my mouth shut. I have never been a rah-rah America type and, in fact, have often made fun of Republicans in the past for being overly sentimental because they're the ones who tear up at military flyovers and 
get a boner when the governor of South Dakota rides into a biker rally dressed like a painting of Teddy Roosevelt. John Boehner used to cry, cry like fucking weep at the drop of a hat if anything reminded him of what a star-spangled miracle this country is. If there was a little flag in his club sandwich, he'd lose it. <laughs> it's just in the conservative DNA to have this dewy-eyed, sloppy, drunk love for their country that often renders them incapable of acknowledging its problems. That's how we got the 2013 Supreme Court ruling gutting the Voting Rights Act. Not because John Roberts is a monster, but because people like him tend to over-romanticize America. He thought the South was ready for the honor system. They weren't. But... But liberals, as usual in this era, have now gone too far in the other direction. They under-romanticize America. They have no perspective. Last week, the Taliban murdered a comedian. His name was Nazar Muhammad, and he made up funny songs on TikTok. They forced him into a car, tortured, and then executed him. A comedian. A thing like that hits a little close to home for me. I've had two presidents up my ass. This one warned me to stop speaking my mind. They need to, to watch what they say, watch what they do, and this is not a time for remarks like that. There never is. Just so you, this is visual from the TV show, so he's talking about Bush here, and he just played Bush's uh, press guy. And this one sued me over a joke. You're showing Trump. <laughs> And as president, called me every name in the book for the crime of predicting he'd do exactly what he did. This crazy Bill Maher, this idiot comedian, these people are sick. He's a crazy lunatic. He's a whack job. He is a total nut job. Thank you. Yeah, I mean... Neither experience was pleasant. But I didn't have to worry about being dragged till I'm dead behind a Toyota Tacoma. Have a little perspective about the stuff we howl about here. I'm, so I'm sorry your professor said something you didn't like. That won't be a problem with the Taliban because you're not allowed to go to school. In Saudi Arabia, grown women can be jailed for doing the kind of things we think of as routine without the permission of a male guardian. China rounds you up if you're a, the wrong religion and puts you in camps. More children in Burkina Faso work than are in school. Only 5% of Burundians have electricity. The homicide rate in Honduras is eight times what it is here. The inflation rate in Venezuela is 2,719%. The Philippines, in the last five years has put to death 27,000 low-level drug dealers. My old job. <laughs> In North Korea, people starve to death. The only people who starve here are doing it for a role. <laughs> and the only people who have no water live in California. <laughs> so, I mean... If you 
what is he really like? What is it? What is he trying to say ultimately? What's your interpretation of, of that? Because I, I know where my mind kind of starts going when he starts talking about how um, terrible other places are. You know, one thing that's really struck me is whenever you read those surveys about people in around the world, like who the happiest people are. And the people who tend to be the happiest don't come from the wealthiest countries. The people who seem to have more things seem to have more worries and more mental health problems. There's a, maybe it is this, but there is another thing where Mars cites a Psychology Today journal, and it says that the average American 15-year-old right now has like more mental stress than a mental patient in the 1950s. Like, well, so here, here's something that might constant hell that we just end up subjecting ourselves to that really like colors our reality because i I, as as human beings we've never developed some like sense to tell like when people gossip and talk about us in social media that seems very real because we've been conditioned over hundreds of thousands of years that we are safest in a group and so breaking apart from that group getting away from that group gives us actual real sensations of fear I mean, it's something I right, know you've right. dealt with with, yeah. with friends and families. We, so, we're probably the luckiest, happiest people to to ever exist in the history of humankind, and we're fucking miserable. It's just so weird to me. Yeah, and I get that point, and I definitely, I, I guess, um, so I, I have like my my leftist muscles get get um, I, the muscle memories there, and so. When I when I hear the sort of list of like all these places and, and horrible things and atrocities, what what I was going to mention about Afghanistan specifically and the documentary Bitter Lake by Adam Curtis, um, is the idea that uh, development that was happening, um, I think post World War II, they they were doing something with the water um, in order to create some energy and and bring bring development right bring civilization. So we're not even you know talking about nationalism necessarily. We're you know. We're, we're bringing civilization to places like Afghanistan. But what, what happened with the, the water irrigation development is the water table raised. And wow, poppies really like that shit. It was pretty, pretty amazing for poppies. Um, poppies make things called heroin. And so a, a new market sort of grew and developed. And places like Afghanistan became obviously the, 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 one of the boundary lines for the Cold War with a, with a big Russian power and the big American power. And so... When, when Americans over time have, have been through, for whatever factors, um, sort of taught to not be aware that it's not necessarily America, a nationalist entity that's doing this. It is um, powerful things that are supranational that exist in, in now transnational corporations that go back before you know America even existed in a lot of ways. Um, if, if people could start seeing the sociopath power structure and, and how they are just they're they um however you want to define that power structure um it's a it's a small percentage of the actual broad human population and i i just want to in, in a lot of ways i guess pull back from things that i don't have control over which is most things happening in other countries other continents other places what i have control over is here in my backyard and and that's why a big 20 year longest war ever, you know, I can't do much about that. Um, right at this point, I, I was paying attention as best I could for the past 20 years to American geopolitics. I'm very critical of American geopolitics, but, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to conflate that with nationalism 
and and what Bill Maher is doing because what Bill Maher is doing, I mean, he's just a smug motherfucker that gets paid a lot of money to be funny, and he has had some consequences for being too honest. Um, and you know, back back in uh, what was it, politically incorrect, you know. Um, and so he's definitely had some some retaliation that he's experienced. Um, but he's able to maintain a career within this this paradigm. And I don't know if he's been too critical on Obama's education secretary. Um, did you see this story? No. Um, this is uh, from the aggregator Zero Hedge. So Obama. Let's see. Secretary loses his mind, compares anti-maskers to Kabul suicide bombers. Right. So this is what this is. This is what this guy. Um, this is what this guy said. So this is Arnie Duncan. Um, this is part of what the tweet reads. They both blew themselves up, inflict harm on those around them, and are convinced they are fighting for freedom. The tweet reads. Hmm. Have you noticed how strikingly similar both the mindsets and actions are between the suicide yeah. bombers at Kabul's airport and the anti-mask and anti-vax people here? They both blow themselves up and inflict harm on those around them and are convinced they are fighting for freedom. So, can, can I play the rest of this? I just want to get past it because yeah, I, sure. Yeah, get it out of your just system. A couple minutes left. I think America is irredeemable. Turn on the news or get a passport and a ticket on one of those sketchy airlines that puts its web address on the plane. There's a reason Afghan mothers are handing their babies to us. And, and we should take them. Americans right now should take in Afghan refugees into their homes and into their neighborhoods. And I'm sure everyone who just clapped is thinking the same thing. Yes, someone who isn't me should definitely do that. <laughs> or who isn't Doug. But that doesn't make us the bad guys. We're not the bad guys. Oppression is what we were trying to stop in Afghanistan. We failed, but any... Yeah, oppression is what we were trying to stop in... Here. No, 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 Bill Maher. No, what we were told, okay, by our sociopath elites who who are no different than the the arms dealers, um, what we were told is that there was a safe haven, okay? We were told that there was a safe haven in Afghanistan that Osama bin Laden attacked us from that safe haven, right? The reality is, um, the Taliban was like, you know, hey, you want this dude? Like, we we can we can get him for you, you know? Oh, by the way, we destroyed all the poppies. Yeah, we don't we don't like that. We don't like that fucking opium. That that opium is not going to be like one of our market. Um, you know, retail uh, sales thing. That, no, we're not going to do that. But I'm sure that had nothing to do with Afghanistan and all the the or the heavy mi- or the minerals, the like estimated trillion dollar of mineral wealth. I'm sure that had nothing to do um, with Afghanistan. And I'm sure that um, some of these you know suicide bombers are are not going to be the further justification for getting back involved. The reason why I'm just so cynical and I don't even like getting into geopolitics anymore is because it's just such a we, we don't know what's going on. We really don't. Unless we're actually there or talking to family that lives over there that really, like, is on the ground, th- th- there's no way we can really, like, know what's going on. And so the, the, the use of, of a, emotional manipulation just it, it pisses me off. Um, you know, part of what tr- appealed to me because of Trump was his um, sort of more libertarian stand on, on American interventions in, in foreign lands, right? And what happens when he tries to get out of Syria? Which, why the fuck are we in Syria? Well, all of a sudden there's, there's, a, there's a chemical attack. 
For people paying attention, the White Helmets are a propaganda group, okay? They, they, they stage and create and actually create atrocities, and they stage bullshit that gets used um, to, emo- to manipulate, manipulate, emotionally manipulate us. Um, I mean, I'm just, I'm so fucking tired of this. I, I don't have any sense that, that this country should, should be um, held in the same esteem as, as you know, the, the transnational corporations that are, that are benefiting from this military industrial congressional complex. I mean, it really is that thing that has been in power for so long um, that controls Democrats and Republicans. And so anytime someone like Bill Maher is trying to take some stand, I mean, I guess maybe if it gives you a bit of a oomph going forward in, in that, it might just be an asshole and being too cynical and all this. I, I don't know. I don't know. I just... No, because I'm, I'm in the same situation, okay? I mean, we're both... I mean, we made good money on crypto this year, and so I got to write a check for hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, and I guess I got to go buy tanks for people in Afghanistan, and I guess I got to buy planes for people to fall off of trying to get the fuck out of a country. Like, uh, Taxes, man. I, it's well, so hard to not view this as an entire system. How do you look at all the parts that are operating in the same way and not be like, well, this isn't just this one thing happening. This is a system. I'm a, like a cog in the system, and I'm expected to operate as I'm expected to operate, or else, you know, can the I read system... you? Can I read you a poem? Yeah, if you want. Yeah, I'm going to read you a poem. Um, I, I feel like and this was from an earlier post. Excuse me, I'm, I'm burping. Uh, the, the poem is because the, there is something going on with this, this really weird, um, you know, pull out of Afghanistan. Like I, I don't necessarily believe that there's incompetence involved in this necessarily. Oh, I, I think, well, you know, it seems like it, it seems like it. Right. Um, but when you start seeing as many, uh, influencers trying to, to correlate the Taliban with patriots that are like anti-maskers and stuff that it seems that there's this narrative thing going on. Um, then you look at like the meme war that was happening with like the Taliban, like posing with ice cream cones and shit. I mean, it was, it was, it was weird, but, um, because I am a fanboy of the prop report and Brad Binkley and Monica Perez are just, uh, fantastic people. I wrote a poem for Brad Binkley and it's it's about um, it's about some of this Afghanistan stuff. So I'm just going to read it really quick, and then you can opine on my poetic verse. All right, Talapat, Patraban, you think we can't, but yes, we can. See it, hear it, heart it deep. Twenty years of careful sleep. Now poppy petals for Eastern fans as Mordor turns to Patraban. Question any holy vote. May science turn your bones to sand. Send the kid without a poke. Mark the vector with a brand. From your mouth it sounds insane. Say it, play it like a game. It's psycho fun and karma bland. To Talapat, your Patraban. Are you? Do you want to Talapat my Patraban, Tim? No. <laughs> Let me finish. You this can Talapat at any time you want. I know. You, I know. You, is there more Bill Maher? Oh, good there lord. There is. I'm sorry, man. That's okay. I, no, play it. Look, play it. Reason, I'm not opposed to it. I try to stay in tune because I want to know what they're thinking and what information they're getting. And that's I have a great to give point. Credit to Bill Maher because yes. there's a lot of hard truths that these people would not hear anywhere else if they didn't hear it from this show. If oh. it wasn't wrapped in the rah rah clap at everything against the Republicans, he he actually talks to them and they think about it and be like, yeah, that is what I should be thinking. Like, okay, so before you pl- hit play, um, that is one of the the tactics 
that he is very successful at um, because he, it, it's interesting. Let's say, you, I mean, this is like the sugar makes the medicine go down, right? Um, what, what he does for his audience is he has all of that mockery and ridicule of, of Republicans and, and John Boehner crying. And so all of that creates this like, this, um, you know, shell so that that, that bitter medicine that he's then delivering to his audience is, is actually taken in. And I, I think you make a great point that, um, without that Bill Maher framing and branding that his audience probably wouldn't hear this information. I mean, and so he, in that regard, I think it's very useful to, to Tester is to. on this show like every three to six months that I can. Is gauge. he really? Yeah. He's on here a lot. Interesting. Uh, he, he, except the years he's running for election. I don't see him as much, but he's been on the show at least okay. a half dozen times that I know of. So. Um, you would think journalists in Montana would maybe report on that. Interesting. They don't. And yet the overriding thrust of current woke ideology is that America is rotten to the core, irredeemably racist from the moment it was founded, and so oppressive, sexist, and homophobic, we can't find a host for the Oscars or Jeopardy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure you heard the new Jeopardy guy is out because he said boobies in 2014. <laughs> and this is where your new Afghani roommates that you took in will, will, <laughs> will prove so valuable because they'll turn to you and say, have you people lost your fucking minds? Oh, that's funny. That is funny. Have you ever heard of honor killings, public beheadings, throwing gay men off of roofs, arranged marriages to minors, state-sanctioned wife-beating, female genital mutilation, marriage by capture? Because we have. What's the lesson of Afghanistan? Maybe it's that everyone from the giant dorm room bitch session that is the internet should take a good look at what real oppression looks like. Ask your maid. Ask your Uber driver. Ask the Asian woman giving you a massage. She'll tell you this place is Shangri-La, and not just because she works in a place called Shangri-La. It's almost done. America may not be the country of your faculty lounge and Twitter dreams, but no one here tries to escape by hanging on to an airplane. No. We wait till we're inside the plane to fight. <laughs> and then only because they cut off the beverage service. Okay, I have a, I have a perfect segue. Um, and, and, and thank you. Thank you, Tim. We, I, I hope the, the listeners aren't too tortured by the amount of time it took to get through a seven-minute Bill Maher clip. But that was very <laughs> um, informative and educational. And it, it allows me to actually make a point that um, Bill Maher would not intend to make. But as he was describing things in Afghanistan at the end... Um, from that culture. Do you know what I was thinking about? What? Um, how very similar things happen in another place called Saudi Arabia. Okay, but let's let's circle back because we talked earlier about the immigration thing. And this right. was a point I really wanted to make is if you look at America currently and you have only the resources to do one thing or the other, do you fix the things that are wrong here address the housing problem, address all the homeless problem we have here, you know, address the obesity problem, address the mental health care problem you're matching, or do we spend all those resources to bring more people here? Okay. So, so and circling back um, to Cox, rape, penetration, 
needles, right? Um, the reason why I bring up Saudi Arabia is because there is a pattern of Saudi Arabian nationals coming to American universities, committing crimes, and then getting the fuck out of the country. Um, and so as we are talking maybe about bringing in um, Afghan, I, I don't want to do this to create some kind of like fear cloud. I'm not doing this to, to create a fear cloud. I'm doing this to say, um, you know, I actually going to the University of Montana had some direct experiences with some of these Saudi um, students, exchange students. Um, I found them to be um, the the three that I interacted with at a party who were plying a young girl with cocaine and looking to potentially take advantage of some of the um, semi-conscious you know, co-eds at that party. Um, I didn't realize at that time that that is actually something that has happened from Saudi students um, so often that Oregon created some legislation or tried to, to protect its citizens. So I, I wrote something about this in February. So this is February 11th, 2019. Um, the title is why does Oregon need legislation to protect its citizens from Saudi Arabian students? Um, and the link, so, uh, one of the, the links I have in this um, goes to a, a local story. So seven years ago, that was back in 2019, a Saudi student attending classes at the University of Montana allegedly sexually assaulted two women in the same day. Um, and the Missoulian, this is how they reported it. A man accused of raping one University of Montana student and assaulting another earlier this month was contacted repeatedly by UM Dean of Students Charles Couture before fleeing the country. After Couture informed the man, who was accompanied by his lawyer, that he was being accused of sexual assault under the university's student code of conduct, the man left the area, UM President Royce Ingstrom said Friday. In fact, the man, a Saudi national studying at UM, has left the country, Missoula Mayor John Angan said, police told him earlier Friday. So when, when you think about a town that had a book written about it in terms of how it handles uh, allegations of rape and sexual assault by John Krakauer about you know, rape in a college town, when you have um, Saudi nationals accused of sexual assault being given some heads up that th those charges are coming so that they can get the fuck out, um, our mayor, John Angan, who wants four more years, mayor at the time, when we have conversations about public safety and public health and how I, because I might choose to not have my skin um, forcibly penetrated because I won't be um, uh, subject to coercion, to emotional manipulation, to bullying, to being told that I should be denied medical care, to being told that I'm like the fucking Taliban, like I'm a, like a goddamn uh, suicide bomber. Um, you know, we are, we, are, we are at a point. We are at a point. And I wrote back in December that one of my lines in the sand was, you know, coming after my kids, right? Um, and lowering the age of consent for stuff, you know, like we've talked about, um, to as young as 12, my, my oldest is 13 now. So this is the world that he's entering into, um, as an adolescent. And, um, that ultimately is my number one priority, my number one prerogative, you know, when all is said and done, you know, these geopolitics, this big world we live in, um, I have a duty to my kids, to my wife, to my family, to keep them safe do the best I can, um, and to my community to take what I know from the years that I've lived here, 21 and counting, uh, about what we can do to actually address safety on the ground. Because as I continue to see that disparity between what is stated, what is rhetorically put forward um, from a political establishment that I think has a lot to hide, um, you know, I'm pretty invested uh, as I continue to live here to do what I can to create safety for, for my own dependence, my own immediate circle of, uh, of 
friends, family. So, yeah, long rant. And uh, we probably should think about wrapping it up as we've, you know, man, we've covered some stuff. What? Should we talk about another re- uh, refugee and a military guy named Jacob Elder and uh, some oh other military guy named, named David Stalling? And, and, and should we talk about the Jacob Elder, David Stalling situation and kind of get away from... Okay, do it. Because I don't know the Dave Stalling thing you just told me before, but I didn't want to hear it. Okay. Because well, I want to react. So um, this is now making the rounds. This can, was... Can I just throw one thing at yes, you to totally yes, yes. derail you? So this guy who told all the Ace Hardware employees in Western Montana, who I I think he owns a franchise for like Kalispell, Pulse, and Missoula. Right, right. um, Of course, lives in a $900,000 house in the South Hills, five bedroom. Like, the, the... Maybe we should start doing that. Like, how about every time I have to read some dark money a-hole in the paper, I get to know, like, what socioeconomic status they're in. Fair enough. If the reporter girls at the Cayman who are just starting their new year in journalism are going to start out with their crying session about their whiteness, why can't I read about the socioeconomic status and million-dollar homes of the people lecturing me about my health care? Okay. I think that's a, I think that's fascinating. Um, so so this is this is a from a blog called From the Wild Side. Not familiar with it um, until just recently, and the post is from Sunday, so two days ago, August 29th. and it's called uh, "Ignore, Block, Obfuscate, and Attack the Bizarre Campaign of Jacob Elder." So it, I mean, it goes on. I don't know if I, I don't necessarily want to read all of it. Um, what, what what's the Dave Stalling connection? That's the part I didn't hear about. So he wrote it. Oh, he, he authored where he authored this. There's a link to this from Greg Strandberg's uh, uh, post today. Um, so if you go to Strandberg is Big Sky Words. The title is The Implosion of First Time Candidates. Um, and you can go to then the blog story and I'll read. a. Let's see. I'll read a portion of this. Actually, it's not too long, so maybe I should just read the whole thing. Okay, so this is um, David Stalling. This is from his blog, From the Wild Side. I first met Jacob Elder at meetings at the Missoula County Democrats Central Committee. He seemed a nice, sincere, honest guy and a fellow Marine Corps sergeant. The feelings were apparently mutual. He recently wrote to me, You are a good man that I came to respect, not only as a Marine, but because you welcomed me in when I was hanging around the Central Committee. He wrote a wonderful op-ed for the Missoulian, published June 2nd, 2020, called Being Black in America Shouldn't Be a Death Sentence, about systemic institutionalized racism and, quote, the blatant execution of black people by the police, as he put it. That was before he decided to run for mayor of Missoula to replace incumbent Mayor John Engen, who has been in office for 15 years. That was before things got weird. At first, I was intrigued and willing to support him if his views and proposed policies aligned with mine, so I asked him questions. On his Facebook page, he indicated support for SB215, a religious freedom bill passed by state legislators, identical to bills passed in other states designed to allow for discrimination against the gay community. I asked if he supported such discriminatory laws. He didn't answer. In other places, he obfuscated on the topic, something I later learned he does on most topics. I asked him what he did in the Marine Corps, his military occupational specialty, MOS, a common question among fellow Marines. I served in a force recon unit and earned three 0311 infantrymen and 0321 reconnaissance marine and 8654 reconnaissance marine parachute and scuba qualified. Bless you. I guess you don't say bless you to when you're blowing the nose. Anyways, 
He wouldn't answer. He told me he wouldn't provide such information to people with, quote, ulterior motives. My only motive was to learn more about him to determine if I would vote for him. On his Facebook page, he posted what he would that he would put all homeless people who aren't Missoula residents on a bus and send them to California. I asked him the following, how would you know if they are residents? Many don't have identification. Would you force them to go if they don't want to? Is this legal? Would there be legal challenges to the city? How much would it cost? He deleted my questions and blocked me from his page. He sent me a personal note on Messenger telling me he was disappointed in me as a fellow Marine. I have since learned he has ignored and blocked hundreds of people, Democrats, Republicans, Independents, simply for asking him questions or trying to get clarification of his views and positions. As local polit- political consultant Christy Govertson recently put it, it's super fun to see mayoral candidate Jacob Elder using the extremely absurd campaign strategy of blocking hundreds of potential voters and future constituents from his social media platforms. These aren't obnoxious internet trolls he's blocking. These are engaged citizens, community leaders, bridge builders, and longtime Missoulians that are genuinely curious about him, his platform, and how they might work together should he get elected. <clears throat> Elder claims he ignored and blocked us all because we, quote, work for Angan. He portrays Angan as some kind of big city, Tony Soprano like mob boss, out to get him. Vine, quote, Vine for a political office against a 16-year incumbent mayor has proven to be one of the most dangerous endeavors I have undertaken, end quote, Elder has written. He wrote to me that his family, quote, has received numerous threats from Engen's supporters. Threats he calls, quote, extremely racist, and that he now, quote, has to carry a firearm to protect himself. Quote, how does the city mayor create supporters that are this threatening and borderline racist, he asked me. That should be the title for an op-ed or letter to the editor on my behalf. Ooh. Elder also seems to have changed his views to appeal more to the right. He's refused interviews with some local media, but met privately with Patriots of Montana, an extreme right-wing group that perpetuates long-debunked conspiracy theories. No, uh, no, no conspiracy theories are given as an example. Elder even seems to have changed his views on systemic institutionalized racism, recently assuring folks that, quote, no racism exists in the Missoula Police Department and ridiculing the Black Lives Matter movement as dangerous and harmful. I recently learned that Elder seems to have created a fake Facebook account under the name Richard Peterson (laughs) with a bizarre profile photo making fun of Mayor John Engen's weight and alleged past struggles with drinking. Elder uses this fake profile to troll those who don't support him. Last week, I posted a statement on a Facebook page about why I could not support Jacob Elder's mayor. Within minutes, he sent me a personal message on Messenger telling me I was not really a Marine. Quote, you are not a Marine. You never served. Accompanied by a barrage of creepy emojis. After I received it, I called him to see if he would, if he could have a rational, reasonable discussion. We couldn't. He wouldn't let me get in a word and told me that I was not really a man that I am, quote, a disgrace to our nation and Marine Corps, and that he does not believe I was a Marine. More recently, because I called him creepy, he accused me of being racist. This fellow is racist. Yes, racist. He do not belong in our community, he posted on Instagram and Facebook. I've since learned he accuses many who disagree with him as being racist. Ironically, his actions confirm what I stated. Jacob Elder is creepy. I can, we're almost done. I can fully understand why some people think Mayor Engen has been in office too long and would like to see someone new, but Jacob Elder is clearly not the right choice. Maybe I should share what happened with me and Jacob Elder. Uh, you know, you guys, we interviewed him pretty, uh, pretty early, early on, on. Yeah, March. And I think you have talked about this before, the process of even trying to get him 
because we originally wanted him to come in and sit down. You know, we, at that yep. point, we had done an interview with Jesse Ramos. Um, we were sort of going back between the Zoom interviews on your laptop and the in-person interviews like we're having right now. And it was it the day before or was it the morning of he backed out to coming here and talking to us in person? Yeah, w within the week. And that was after some uh, some back and forth on topics that he did not want to discuss. And um, LGBT issues was one of them. Like geopolitics, I'm, like I told you, you know, today we're talking about geopolitics. I've been interested in geopolitics for a while. But, you know, stuff with his military service, he didn't he didn't want to talk about. And, you know, I'm new to this this podcasting thing. I, I was just really interested in, in getting him on basically on tape, you know, on what what his story is. I didn't know much about him at the time. And so we did have a good conversation. Nothing came up about the sexual assault charges, although those charges were... Um, they weren't really known at the time we did they the interview. No. Um, and I think that's where you became a bit... Uh, suspicious of him because when those did come out he didn't mention them. well it, it, but, really quickly I'll, I'll just mention that um my suspicions that led me to have like conversations with people like maggie bornstein came from a connection that my mother had uh, a woman that did not want to come forward but um she has since come forward so karen wickersham was one of these county democrat uh people that um has since shared her information which i captured on in a screenshot and, and put on my blog um, but but she talked about her experiences with Jacob, and so she's now as kind of out there in the public. And what's interesting is, um, and we can discuss this a little bit in terms of uh, the claims of racism, is that I've been contacted by at least one progressive that said Karen Wickersham ran the Facebook, the the County Democrat Facebook page in a similar way that seemed to block or or marginalize uh, more progressive perspectives from being a part of the conversation. So that there was this sort of like corporate Democrat control and that Karen was a gatekeeper in that control structure. And so it's it's interesting as a well, Jacob is an, a refugee, a black man claiming all these white people are racist. And so it's almost like these virtue signaling aspects that that so many white people in Missoula have benefited from are now being turned turned against them by someone they perceive as right wing, anti LGBT. It's just kind of fascinating if you can step back from from the the fact that we actually need competent leadership in this town. Well, and, and this is a failure on so many levels because the other thing I've bitched and moaned about for several years now is the complete incompetence. And I think even Greg Strandberg's talked about this of the local Republican committee. And yeah, I think going yeah. up to that, we sort of heard whispers from those on the right of like, oh, Engen, he's in big trouble now. This guy's black. He, he checks all the boxes that the Democrats want to check so they can feel like good people. But, uh, you know, after listening to him i was pretty convinced he did he does seem to have a pretty good knowledge of the issues and he's read enough and researched enough that it felt like he was uh, if we're going to talk about someone like the mayor the mayor is a big job even in a town of like 60 yeah. 80 100 000, there's it's a county seat there's a bunch of different uh, organizations you have to coordinate with it's a big job so you do want someone this is where these last minute candidacies are kind of pointless because i i'm I don't know if you heard this, but uh, on KGVO last week, the Missoula County Republicans and Bondine Kapetsky uh, came out and endorsed Sean Knox. Yeah, so yeah. they decided, this person who decided mere hours before the deadline was going to go, I, I, and to be honest, when we heard all this stuff from like Daniel Colino and Maggie Bornstein about right. how right-wing Jacob Elder is, and now we see pictures of him with Ryan Zinke. Right, uh, right, right. That sort of cinched it for me. I, I know Ryan because I've worked for him before. 
Um, but he is really what is my personal pet peeve in politics is he is a resume, but he is not like a guy making decisions. Once right. you go see someone give the same campaign speech 50 times, um, you know, I don't have a lot of faith that Ryan Zinke is going to affect a lot of things. It's, it's sort of my frustration right now with a guy like Austin Knudsen or, or many of the Republicans in state government now is they're not formed individuals on conservative principles, okay? They are moving to adopt whatever principles they perceive in their own perception is going to get them elected. So when they see all this, like, Trump and the media back and forth, they just look of like, well, who, which side is going to get me elected? I'll be on that side. And that's what I see yeah. with a guy like Ryan Zinke, and that's what make, makes me question when he's friends with Jacob Elder, Elder's, like, holding up. He's in the middle of a campaign in fucking Missoula, Montana. What are you doing taking pictures with Ryan Zinke right now? Do you not have the, even the basic knowledge of what the fuck you're running for? Is that because a recent picture? Was that just recently taken? Who gives a fuck? Why would you ever, why would a guy, you know, if I went and took a picture with Gianforte and Danes and like every major Republican office holder, I wouldn't come here and be like, I'm going to file as a Democrat in Missoula to run in Missoula. So, so here, here's, here's the lost opportunity that Republicans had in Missoula County, right? So um, Greg Strandberg was very explicit in the strategical failure to to um, register for that, you know more about this stuff. The um, the the you get poll information from it. What the hell am I talking about, Tim? Oh, NGP van. Yeah. So so actually, that right there could be a campaign violation if I had any faith the current commissioner gave a shit. How, how so? By not staying up on the membership. No, because it's a nonpartisan race, okay? So if you're going to take resources that are only available to candidates of the Democratic Party, how are you going to run for a nonpartisan office? Oh. It's like if I went down Tim, to— you'd be smart and stuff, man. I, well, yeah. Uh, it's like if I went down to the local Missoula County Democrats' labor temple and I was like, got all my voter lists from them, got all my resources from them, and then like yeah. went and, and filed for a nonpartisan— I mean, yeah, that's like one of the most minor things as far as the ethical lapses of, of this local government. But, but it, it's a point of, I mean, there's another thing that happened here a number of years ago, which really pissed me off. And, you know, I've been a resident of Sealy Lake. I grew up there since I was in kindergarten. And the, the way that the geography of the county works is they just assign one full-time cop. And if they're lucky, they get one person wow. who goes up there for long term, like 20 or 30 years. There was a guy named Bob Parcell. Bob Parcell took a fucking bullet uh, Holy in a shit. home invasion in Celiac, Montana. Like, you talk about the cops here. Everywhere they go to make a traffic stop, to go to house, whenever they get a call, they know that there are other cops and vehicles very close away, usually minutes away. They're usually so bored they just go yeah. to back up their fellow officers. People in these rural parts in these little towns, they don't get that kind of backup. Right, right. And so he, uh, I think it was probably 10, 15 years ago now, was wanted to file for sheriff. And he had an impeccable resume. You know, he was just a guy who would lay down his life for his town. You know, very respectable. And, like, Cowgirl and these local Democrats, they started putting out the most vile shit against him. And oh, he's you're like kidding a me. Real Democrat. He's just saying he's... Well, yeah, he's probably not, like a John Engen Democrat. He's probably right, not right. a Gwen Jones or he's, he's yeah. not putting the time on the committees and the, the making the friends and putting the work and making the, con no, the, he was just a guy who went to his stuff. fucking job at the most honorable level, but he got attacked mercilessly. Like he never did anything for anyone. Wow. And, and so there's just this, these little things behind the scenes where it really pisses me off. They will take down a new guy and fair enough. My intentional, in, original intention in bringing this up was trying to talk a little bit more about Jacob Elder because uh, I haven't even scratched the surface of what all happened here. Uh, 
after we talked, I wasn't in that conversation, but I reached out to Jacob. I was like, you know, I've worked in campaigns before. If you'd like some help, I like what you're saying. I think we need a change in local politics. And uh, I talked to him on the phone, and I just sort of gave him my perspective of, of what, m- based on my campaign experience, would be the smartest thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, he wanted, like, a full resume, anything I've ever done on politics. He wanted me to type out, like, two pages of all my qualifications. I was like... Whatever, dude. That's not going to happen. This was maybe January, February. Right, right. And then I circled around closer to the filing date, and you know, no one else had filed at that point. I think we're a couple weeks out, and so I gave him 180 bucks. I maxed out on his campaign. I was like, okay, it's angular. Oh, that's right, that's right. Uh, well, then I like go because it it was like May, June. We're getting into where the campaigning should be happening. So I reached out to him. I was like, so what's going on? Do you have an office set up? Do you have some door knocks? Do you have some lists? Like, oh, we don't really have any of that. I got a guy coming in from D.C. We have it all planned out. Anytime you would have a conversation with Jacob Elder, you would never get specifics on actually what is going on in this campaign. Now, personally, if I see a guy very active on social media, like who apparently has the time, even though he's supposedly studying for an MBA and a law degree, to also sit on Facebook all day and sit on Twitter all day. Good point. I'm like, you could be out. This is my thing with Kevin Hunt. It's like you... We are judging you to lead all of us. And if the first thing we notice about you is you're a liar or you can't be, you know, good with your time management or if you're not serious about what you're doing, like then we immediately have to have some skepticism. Well like, whatever said. you want to say about John yeah. Ingood, I'm sure he's serious about being mayor. I'm sure after sixteen years he knows exactly what that job is. I mean, we all say he did a shitty job, but he knows the job. Yeah. So I think J- Jacob Elder knows the job, no. So can, can I just finish yeah, the story yeah, yeah, with absolutely. Jacob Elder? Because yes, yes, there please. is an involvement in it. And, and something came up about you, and I don't remember. I, I tried to make it separate oh, yeah. because at that point I was doing sort of the production on this. I wasn't you know, on the air as mm-hmm. much. And he's like, no, Travis is not a member of community. He sows division. And I looked at the Twitter feed, and like I looked at this whole campaign's Twitter feed. And from that time to be back going to the announcement of his campaign, yeah. there were only two like viral tweets. One of them was like when he initially announced, and the second one was you retweeting something about and I was like, well, you know, if Travis huh, is so evil and causes such division in this country, I don't know why you're retweeting him uh, oh, on yeah. your official campaign social media account. And he's like, well, did you ever give money with the understanding you would be guaranteed and allowed to work on the campaign? And I was like, no. But who in the fuck are you running a campaign <laughs> thinking people who are writing $200 checks are the people you don't want working on your campaign? So I, I just sent him a thing. I was like, just give me my money back. I was yeah. like, you know, I, I, I'm kind of trying to be a journalist here. I'm trying to cover this objectively. So fair enough. Uh, just give me my money back. It's like, well, did I ever say you could have your money back? I was like, what? <laughs> Whoa. Well, you, you're telling someone that you won't even just give them their money back if they don't want to be a donor. You're going to try to keep it. And I had to fight this fucker. <laughs> I had to fight him. And I wrote him an email back. And the subject line of the email to Jacob Elder was good luck comma faggot he's being a fucking faggot I don't I don't don't know what to tell you other than this this insecure little fucking bitch put all of our hopes and dreams on his back like he was going to carry us to a better fucking Missoula made sure no one else got involved in that race got out in front got everyone convinced he was going to be the fucking guy just because he wanted to be the fucking guy but he doesn't want to put any of the work in and he's not there's no you know, humility there's no gratitude there's no like uh working with other people all these other qualities you want to give shit about people for running the, the city of Missoula into the ground for the for the lowest and most vulnerable let's just talk about whether you can be a good person and tell the truth and like manage your time and if you can't do that 
don't waste our fucking time and resources filing for anything because you are not better than the person you're trying to replace. You're just another fucking monster who wants the fucking power and sees an opportunity to take it. Well, you know, and for people that don't understand necessarily where um, where Tim's frustration might be coming from, um, and for where my frustration after seeing you know 16 years of the the political establishment under Engen, after seeing what happens to his last opponent four years ago with Lisa Tripke, um, the woman whose divorce was used against her, her whose Medicaid information was used against her, um, you know, for folks that don't understand what happened in 2019 with J. Kevin Hunt. Um, identifying a schedule change in order to, quote, get ahead of the rumors about $16 million in tax increment financing going to the local oligarch, Nick Chakota. For people that don't understand some of these, these local dynamics, we were involved early on in wanting to talk to the first candidate and only candidate to put his hat in the ring against Mayor Angan, right? We did that um, in March um after spending January and February trying to set that up, all right, having um, a, someone who is a young black man with a refugee narrative, um, in a lot of ways, um, kept anyone else from deciding to take on that immense risk of putting themselves out there as a candidate against a 16-year established incumbent, right? And so... When you talk about um, someone like Von Dean, the, the local GOP, not keeping up on the membership in order to be competitive, right? You have Jacob Elder coming in, looking at the numbers, I think. I think what Elder did early on was he looked at the numbers, he looked at the turnout for Engen, um, looked out, looked at sort of what, what Tripke did, which was made it close, even though she was character assassinated in, in the ugliest of ways by this establishment, right? And so I think Jacob Elder made a, a decision, and he if you actually listen to the interview, um, I mean, this whole thing was predicated on no one else entering the race. He was very much thinking about um, the, the end of the filing, the closing date in, in June, and whether or not anyone else would enter the race. Because I think the hope was keep the surface shiny, image-based, right? Say what people want to hear, be the chameleon, right? Um, but maintain this behind-the-scenes um, seriousness that you're willing to like go after anyone that's not going to be a loyalist to your effort, right? Yeah. And so... What happened was that he was sniffed out too early. So people like me, um, because this is a small fucking town, even though it's 80,000, 90,000, 100,000 people in the county, you know, we're still a small community where people talk, gossip happens. You know, those rumors were pretty early. Um, they started getting some validation from official media pretty early. And that was part of the motivation, I think, for Sean Knopp and for Greg Strandberg uh, to put targets on their back on, from this political establishment to throw their hat in the ring because there was this growing sense that Jacob Elder was not a serious candidate because um, our experiences, and apparently David Stalling, has been duplicated um, by so many people that, that it's, it's, even though Jacob Elder has gar garnished the most amount of money um, to be the, the, the money front runner, um, the, the primary, which is in two weeks now, is, is going to be um, pretty, pretty interesting to see what actual vote turnout. I mean, it's going to be a lot of information for Engen ultimately, the, the, the most serious, experienced, uh, conniving, but uh, effective mayor that this town has seen. I mean, I look, I've, I've watched politics in Montana for 25 fucking years now. And once you just see the same things over and over and over, I mean, I filed as a libertarian in 2012. I filed as a Green Party in 2018. 
when I filed those candidacies, they were not because I had any illusion I was going to win either of those races. Okay? Right, right. I filed in 2012 because the Republican that filed in my district was a very strict, hard right anti-marijuana guy. And for most of like the late 2000s and, and early 2010s, that's the big issue that I worked on. And I and he would not talk to me. He would not. You know, I made before I even filed attempts to get in touch with this guy and be like, you know, we're both conservatives. Yeah. Can I try to change your mind on this? No. He did talk to me after I filed, though, because <laughs> when you file and there's like a two, three point race and you can just swing that fucking race out, out of his hands. Uh, that gives you some had- leverage. So you you might not have a realistic expectation of winning, but you had a you had a previous attempt to to reach out and to, and to feel out through dialogue what might be able to happen with a, a candidate with a uh, a position you didn't agree with, uh, and then you file and you show that there there's some leverage when when a person is willing to take that more direct yeah. action. I didn't I didn't but, know that about that. That's interesting. Well. <laughs> It was like the same thing in 2018. I was running the six mil levy campaign. I was trying to get any traction towards someone realizing how in bed, you know, blue cross, blue brock, blue cross, blue shield. Excuse yeah. my my stumbling. Uh, these banks, two out of the seven regents on the university month. I mean, the head of the whole university system is a fucking insurance salesman. Uh, but we, <laughs> I mean, should we yeah. need a fucking education where you know, somehow? You know, I feel very fortunate I was able to go travel in Europe a few years ago. But one thing that really struck me was everyone there knows three languages, okay? They know English, they know the language of the country they're from, and then they get to learn a third one for fun. And they know those three languages before they're even like halfway through high school. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, we, I go to Germany and a 16-year-old can go into a bar and have a beer next to an adult. We, we know that there is something that we need to do as a society to socialize people into adulthood and to realizing what the expectations of adulthood are. What the fuck does our education system do in America, apparently? We were looking at the things with uh, Rob Watson, the mass thing. You know, we yeah. look at only 40% to 60% of kids, depending which grade you, you test, can do math or English at their grade level. Somehow in England, or excuse me, in Europe, they can learn three languages, but we can't even teach our fucking kids one. <laughs> and yet, well, how much money more do we spend on education? Half my property taxes go to these schools. Uh, you know, it, it's just this weird thing where we would rather be mommies, a society of mommies who never let our kids grow up. We'll always have these little Augustus gloops, like just well, fat, look, little look, happy things at, who are stupid. And, you know, I, yeah. I, I talk to kids right now, and they seem to have the flattest personality I've ever seen in my life. I think there's actually a, a periphery thing going on with art right now because when you have – the only people being allowed to go into college are these rich white kids who, you know, they never have to work a regular job. They don't have to be exposed to, to regular kids. They go to better schools, which means they get to go to better colleges. And then you filter that. That means everyone who's writing a TV show now comes from that pool of people. Everyone who's writing yeah, music, yeah. everyone who's writing movies, everyone who's selling them, everyone who's working. It all has to be filtered through this milk toast, boring religious ideology we call social justice now. But because we all think religion is someone on a cross or someone with a turban, we're not going to even acknowledge the rigidity of this ideology we're all having to conform to at risk of complete loss of every social privilege, our job, you know, our, well our friend relation. Yeah. What the fuck is going on? There, There's a parallel here. If you look at like the late 1800s, you look at like Nietzsche and and the sort of scientism that came out of that period where like we we're coming out of this primordial age of being in the forest and being pagans and believing in multi-gods we're now coming to be civilized we're mm-hmm. looking at science we're putting it before religion 
that was the age where we had eugenics. I mean, you you and I have talked off air, uh, looking at some of this eugenic stuff. We looked at the the science experiments, which resulted in little babies dying because we wanted to figure out if they actually needed to touch other human beings yeah, right. in the first year of life. You know, look at Ted Kaczynski. Look at the the prisoner trials. You know, this worship of science as a new religion but without actually having scientific principles of competition and competing ideas and openness to, to, to critical thinking is, is, is crazy. And I, I don't know what to fucking do about it. Anymore. Well, you know, thinking about the Bill Maher piece a bit more and, and then just, you know, um, thinking about kind of wrapping up. Um, one of the things that Monica Perez does well is, is kind of <clears throat> reduce things to what we do have. And so if I have to get my sort of patriotic kind of rah-rah about America, um, it's, it's, it is the bill of rights in the constitution as a framework, um, that, that is, is worthy to, to conserve, right? So the, the conservative idea of falling back to the bill of rights and, and saying, you know, there are such crazy attacks right now on, on such fundamental beliefs that, that people hold dear and some of this like ridicule, uh, and, and just outright disdain hostility to the degree that I'm just, I am still shocked at seeing, seeing it expressed. Um, you know, there are things to work to preserve and that can be, I think a good rallying cry because it's not like we have to, to, you know, create from the ground up something new necessarily. Um, I think we do need to reimagine a lot of our institutions and a lot of our, uh, the social contract. And, um, you know, even thinking back to, to, I was talking with someone earlier today about typhoid Mary, I've had a couple synchronicities I'm going to write about, uh, about Mary Mallon is her full name. Uh, there's a great Aesop Rock hip-hop artist uh, named Aesop Rock uh, album called Mary Mallon. And I was uh, driving in somewhere and I saw Mallon Street. I'm just like, who is this Mary Mallon? And it ends up being Typhoid Mary. But for people that get into the Typhoid Mary narrative, um, there was a lot that was put on this woman in, in order to keep her from allegedly affecting, infecting others with typhoid. So she was like put into prison, solitary confinement. Um, she was, she was really, uh, it's, it's interesting. I don't know much about it. I just read like the Wikipedia entry to kind of give, give myself a basic understanding of what the, what the official narrative is. But, um, as we are talking about a simple question, do I have the right to say no to a medical intervention? And a, a candidate can't even answer that with a yes or no, you know, response. Um, I, I really do think falling back to some of the fundamental things that this country has stood for, that, that this country was built on. Um, and that might be something that needs to be reduced if, we're, if there's going to be a more centralized power structure that breaks up um, things into, into scientifically quantifiable, um, controllable elements. I mean, it feels like now is the time to stand up for those things worthy of, of protecting. Yeah, and I, when we talked earlier about the judge deciding that a woman's choice not to get vaccinated right. was grounds for her to have her children taken away, okay? For, for her to lose um, access to her. She already had 50-50 custody. It's crazy. the importance of this. And this is one yeah. thing that's really hurt me because this is one thing I've seen in Montana a lot and no one ever talks about it. No one ever challenges it. And we just assume these judges have this bedrock uh, assumption of individual rights, okay? You're going into a court of law, and the judge, whose primary job is to, you know, administer justice and protect people's rights, has determined that choosing not to get a vaccination is, is such an egregious example that your right to self-autonomy as mm -hmm. a parent to raise your kid how you'd like, is, it shall be taken away. The other thing, I don't know if you saw this, was the American Bar Association is now going through 
and they're saying they're going to take away the accreditations of the law schools that do not have proper protocols for diversity, equity, inclusion, social justice, which means you can't get a law degree anymore unless you go to a law school that has institutionalized this kind of thinking into all of its training of future lawyers, okay? How do we have a country go forward anymore that is supposedly has a constitution and bill of rights which it actually cares about and enforces if everyone being taught that the way to enforce individual rights is to think specifically only about racial justice as the primary determiner of, of every situation you know? well and there's a chance just because of words that we've used today um that that reflect strong feelings and emotions that we have um, just, just those That's words. True. I have said faggot and cunt today. You know, I, I, I don't mean to, <laughs> well, but I, I support I, your right to, to be able to use strong language. Um, and, and the idea of countering unpopular language with, with or unpopular speech with, uh, with other speech, I mean, more speech being the, the preference, um, when we're, when we're discussing this, you know, we wouldn't be at this plate of place of using such strong language if we didn't that, and I'm speaking for myself, I guess um, you can speak for yourself, Tim, but I wouldn't be using such strong language if I didn't feel so up against a wall um, and, and really like directly threatened in, in really serious ways. I mean, this is, this is, this is the language in, in part, uh, I think of fear, like kind of striking out in, in defense. Um, but I mean, it, it, it alarms me. I have seen how child protective services can work um, with fallible humans uh, interpreting law. And, and I mean, I, I have seen really pretty scary situations that can that can emerge where the state can come in and take power over your your rights as a parent. Um, that should never be taken lightly, you know, and it, and it seems that, that um, through this like total mental illness generating thing called social media, people are, are so now comfortable in their echo chambers that they are saying things. A lot of times they, they go and delete them. But um, what is being said and expressed over and over again by people? It's just I mean, again, it's shocking, and I keep on thinking about that sign that says, if you wondered how you would act in Nazi Germany, now you know. I mean, more and more, I'm just like, hey, come on, people. This this, this is too much of a correlative, you know, to, to be able to ignore. I mean, this is this is forcing health interventions that really do, when you look at it, um, the, the book that you referenced that I, I got, this old book called, I, I don't want to... I'm going to write about it. That's like a hundred year old book on eugenics. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. Well, any other final um, inflammatory words you'd like to throw Gosh, out there? Gosh, I just had some too. Uh, it's as we wrap up for look, this week. If you could distill human history down into a few principles, it really comes down to what did one group of humans believe was so bad or evil about another that they could justify harming them. Right. And here we are now. Is your belief that these vaccines are so safe and so effective that you shouldn't even have a choice on whether to take them? This, which we have no longitudinal data on, which has changed several times, and we'd be told every time it changes, that's science, because science just changes so much. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand this smug self-righteousness of telling someone I'm on the school board and you're uninformed and I get to say what your kid does. The longitudinal data was, like, was essentially destroyed because the control group was given um, vaccinations, right? Um, you have, you go back to the very beginning and you look at the, the, the faulty models coming out of the Imperial College and Neil Ferguson, you have changes of definitions when it comes to herd immunity. You have, um, you know, possible prophylactic uh, and other treatment options that were suppressed in order to 
warrant emergency authorization use. You have uh, Pfizer now changing the name, confusion from the FDA approval process. Uh, oh, natu- natural immunity is demonized. Um, the testing that they always talk about in the cases is never really like specific in terms of is it the PCR test, what cycle threshold. Um, I mean, I could go on and on and on because I am not fucking stupid when it comes to the policies that were instituted in the last 18 months in order for my safety and protection. You know, we are at the most basic distortion of human reality you can even fathom. Okay, (laughs) I don't know if you knew this, but back in January, when they started rolling these vaccines out, Merriam-Webster went back and changed the definition of vaccine and it will be changed for the foreseeable future. What does that mean? That means we all grew up thinking the word vaccine meant something. And we all had the experience of getting shots in our arms for MMR or, or, you know, whatever we've, we've gotten shots for. And now they've deemed this specific situation and their need to give power and to make sure people don't check them as so urgent that we can change the definitions of the words that we all use as human beings to describe the world to each other, okay? That's the point they need to do. And the fact that they don't ever look at themselves in the mirror and be like, look at what I'm having to do. I'm having to change the definitions of words. I'm having to threaten parents that we will take their kids away. Right. You must be goddamn sure of yourself to take that kind of issue against other human beings at the most even basic level of respect and dignity and the fact that they don't even question it and and we have so many people out there because this is what i really think is there is a silent majority of people out there who don't know what's going on and they're just keeping their heads down they're watching maybe they don't want to lose their job by taking on a really political co-worker this is what i saw in academia why i see now with policing what i'm now seeing with the military and, and, you know, these central intelligence agencies is the people who wanted to be the boss, the baddest, and would do whatever it takes, rise up the ranks. That's why you have a complete incompetent piece of shit at the heads of our CENTCOM right now. Right. Who will lie to us for 20 fucking years and spend $2 trillion of our money we could have spent here on much better shit. Telling us, lecturing us, we need to take people from other parts uh, of the world that they fucked over and adapt to them and bring them into our communities and face still higher rents, still harder access to health care, still, you know, harder in our day to day lives. when we have people who don't speak the same language as us interacting us in, the, in, in every part of our life. You better be goddamn sure you know exactly. And, and the thing is, I don't think they are. I think instead they're closing in their echo chambers. They're closing off all of their voices. They're making sure they can't even hear anymore because maybe the little conscience they have in the back of their head may be telling them there's something wrong. But, you know, you're going to take on, you're going to lose your job, you're going to lose your house, you're going to lose how you feed your wife and kids because because of this. Most people wouldn't. And, you know, it, it's just tremendously disheartening to see because we as a people should not have to go through this bullshit and the fact that people can just assert power by fiat over us to do such horrible things in our lives, including up to taking our fucking children away. I, I don't yeah. know where I am right now. And and I feel this anger. I, I feel it in you. And that's where I still think we're on the better side. We're not the ones rounding up people in camps. We're not taking other people's children away. We're not, you know, at, at least I can have some ability to look at myself in the mirror every day. No, I'm not trying to do that to other people because I have this intention anger or emotion or hubris or whatever in my head that tells me I'm fucking smarter than everybody. I know better than everybody. I don't know. I'm you know, just on a yeah, rant no, right now. I, I am ready. I am ready for the underground railroad. Um, I got, I got chickens that, that make really <laughs> nice eggs. Um, I like taking walks with the dog along the riverbank. Um, it's been beautiful. 
this is one of the best times to be in Missoula as the as the leaves start changing. The chill is in the air. I'm trying to, to, to bring you up a little bit, Tim, because, um, you know, it is actually uh, clarifying for me in a lot of ways to um, to see kind of where things stand. And the, the Opperman report, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll end on this. So I got a chance to, um, to interview Ed Opperman and I just, it was kind of not random, but, um, he quickly said yes. And, and we scheduled something for Saturday and then I threw it up, uh, available on Sunday. And it was so interesting to hear, um, a very rational person, um, who's been able to find this, this, this space that not many people occupy, um, that can take some of the more serious subject matters that we were discussing, um, you know, satanic ritual abuse and as it relates to the occult and, and certain situations with uh, the West Memphis Three. But, um, you know, the, the, the lack of spiritual awareness of this materialist scientism um, is something that I, I really feel drawn and called to, to in my own small ways, um, help... Sh- help show people that there's a spiritual side to things and that um, now is actually an amazing time where where quantum quantum science is is merging with scientific uh, sort of you know religious thinking I mean there, there's such possibilities I feel like right now to redefine what people think even in, in terms of germ theory for people that are looking at things like terrain theory and, and starting to rethink even um, you know the, the the influenza you know back in the Spanish influenza time, um, how that actually was spreading and, and um, introduction of new technologies, radiation, toxicity in the environment, um, viral communication that actually happens within the, the biosphere. I mean, there's, there's just so many cool things. Why limit the possibility of knowing more about this universe um, and and acknowledging that there's a lot that we don't know? I mean, th- this is where I'm coming from. I, I'm not certain about anything. A lot of the things that I am thinking right now, I kind of hope that I'm wrong. I don't hear that from the other side too often because they don't think that they're wrong at all. Um, I, I don't want to be right in some of the ways that, that you know, I think that I might be or that people that I'm um, looking to for, for information um, seem to be more ahead of the game when it comes to information, when it comes to narrative. But, but I, I, I really am encouraged in a lot of the conversations I'm having with people because for every you know loss or grief that I'm experiencing as someone that I used to think maybe would respect my rights, maybe no longer does, I'm meeting at least two people um, to, to replace that, that social loss of social support. Um, I, I met you and we're doing a podcast. That, that wasn't happening in 20, 2020. You know, this is a, and and people are listening to us for for whatever weird reason. They're actually listening to us talk. I mean, that's, that's, I I like that. It's cool. If if people in past versions of history thought what we thought right now, that we believe so confidently and, and perfectly that what we believe right now about science to be completely true, that we are willing to violate individual rights and tear families apart. How about in the thirties or forties when we started doing, uh, what do you call it? Uh, frontal lobotomies. It's yeah, good yeah. 40 years of our history where the best scientific experts of, of that age were 100% sure the best way to treat mental illness was to drive a stake up through your nose and take out the part of your brain that was responsible for emotion and just let you have a flat, uninteresting existence, yeah. you know, in, in a padded room. Okay, They did it to that a Kennedy. A, how, how about the stuff they believed about black people? How about the stuff we believe about little babies? Like, if, if you really believe that science and society are ongoing and working, you know, in fits and starts towards some better progress in the future, then you can't be this close-minded and this self-righteous about whatever is going on right now. All of it needs to be met with some skepticism. 
and and all of it should. So I, yeah. I don't want to get off too more on the tangent, but I, I just I'll leave you. I, I'll, I think you're right because when I talk to people in real life, and and this if you are listening, talk openly about this, and you don't have to be mean. You don't have to get in people's faces. You don't have to start conflicts because. The one way to convince someone is just to go happily about your life and just live it, you know, live the values you say that you're, you're taking care of and live it openly. And, and people might be curious. People might ask about it. People might disagree with you. But we at the very heart are social creatures and we have eyeballs that look around us. And this is part of the reason people are so scared because they see other people scared and they see yeah, everyone yeah. in charge who's supposed to tell us what's right telling us to be scared. But look at the other people. Look, stop looking at the media. Stop eating the social media bullshit. So look toxic. Look to other human beings because I think at the end of the day, that's really the way that, that you're going to be able to get through this. That is such good advice. Um, and, and it's a good positive place to end. And, and I'll just mention quickly I'll, along those lines, um, you know, the guy that I talked to, um, oh, I'm basing his name is Greg, I think. Different Greg. Uh, but the, the gentleman, UK guy that um, ended up living in, in Spain, or no, I'm sorry, he was in France, kind of close to the border of Spain. You know, the, the thing that changed for him, because he was uh, filling out these applications online to try and get placed in, in a community, kind of like the Woofer program in America, where you can go and, and do like a year of service working in a community or something. When he was finally honest about what he believed when it came to this the, the whole pandemic, what opened up for him in terms of that social connection, like he now is in this place that feels right for him. And it was a really cool conversation to have with someone that, my goodness, man, I mean, this guy's on the other side of the pond and, and just, you know, reached out to me because he heard an interview um, I did with Jason Horsling. And something like that was so encouraging because I felt that uh, that extra lift, you know, leaving that day after, after talking to him for the second time, we had some, you know, scheduling problems, but, um, but it was it was just really cool. And I need to reach out to him again. Um, Ben, his name is Ben, not Greg. Jeez, sorry, Ben. Um, if if you're still listening, I need to I need to reach out to you again because um, it it really is helpful to to talk to people to share your 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 perspective. Um, and it might not always result in a positive response. You know, there there is a lot of fear. There are a lot of people lashing out. There's a lot of certainty. Um, but I I find the things that are giving me some encouragement. I try to, anyways. I'm not always successful, but. Um, on that note, I think, yeah, we can, we're good. I think we can wrap it up. Yeah, we're at like 96 minutes. <laughs> oh, fun. fun. I know. We were ranting like two minutes in. So, so, so next week, um, as we ha we're a week out from the from the primaries, we'll, we'll continue looking at, at uh, local political stuff. Um, but other topics that might be interesting, if anyone wants to reach out, you can always reach out to me, willskink at yahoo.com. So W-I-L-L-S-K-I-N-K at yahoo.com. Um, oh, actually, we're supposed to be meeting with someone. Here at one o'clock, we oh, have. Good. Yeah, we should go. I ahead. think that's what that ding was. Um, so this is a perfect chance to 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 wrap it up. Um, there are some good things coming. I have some ideas that I can't wait to um, talk more about. Um, I, I miss the indie, and at some point, it would be nice to have a physical thing that's that's that comes out every two weeks or a month. So I think there's going to be some good things coming. Um, and if you're interested in reaching out or having a conversation, we're here. We're available. Yeah, we're not going anywhere yet. We're not going anywhere. We're not fleeing yet. So until next week, you're listening to Zoomtown. Thank you for tuning in.